and welcome to Great Fun Insights, selecting your fun domicile, our video podcast series featuring an expert law firm in an offshore jurisdiction. I'm Kamar Jaffer, a Middle East Funds and Asset Management Partner, and I will be moderating today's conversation. During this series, our expert panelists will explore some of the benefits and legal and regulatory considerations for each offshore location. We will also cover frequently asked questions on how to choose a domicile for your fund and why offshore jurisdictions have become a key choice for global alternative investment funds. Today, we'll be discussing topical fund trends in the Channel Islands, focusing on Guernsey in part one and Jersey in part two. I'm delighted to introduce our guest speaker, Tim Clipstone, partner at Ogier in Guernsey. Tim is an experienced funds and regulatory and corporate lawyer with a particular focus on all aspects of the life cycle of hedge, private equity, venture capital funds, and alternative asset management structures domiciled in Guernsey. Tim, thank you for participating in the series. I'm delighted to have you with us today to learn the ins and outs of the legal and regulatory considerations for Guernsey. So let's kick off with the first question. The Channel Islands, and in our case, Guernsey, is an established fund formation jurisdiction. What are the types of funds that you've been seeing come to market? Thank you very much. Um, yes, yeah, so we, we're, we're seeing still a steady um, flow of, of funds coming to, to Guernsey. Um, I think it's fair to say we're, we're seeing uh, a good number of VC funds, uh, some infrastructure, a number of inf infrastructure funds uh, established here. Uh, some interest in digital assets as well. Uh, obviously, they, those are quite exotic still as, as fund uh, pure play funds. Um, we also continue to see private equity structures being set up, uh, f both for large uh, established uh, managers, but also for, for new managers as well. And what is the type of vehicle that's commonly used? Are there any innovative or creative structures that you've seen come to market? Thanks. So, I mean, the most common vehicle for unlisted uh, structures uh, of all types is the GPLP structure. Um, obviously, when funds are looking to be listed, uh, then it's usual to see those as structured as, uh, as companies. Uh, and, and in fact, Guernsey's got a very strong track record of listing uh, funds uh, on the London Stock Exchange in particular. Uh, and there are quite a, a, a large number of those, uh, and, and we deal with those relatively frequently. Um, I think in terms of innovative structures, um, we still see some, and this isn't innovative at all, this is original, the original fund types, we still see quite a few unit trusts being formed. Uh, that's partly, I think, because uh, some investors understand and trust them, uh, also for, for some some investors prefer those for, for the tax treatment as well. But I think they do like the fact that there's a trustee in place uh, separate to the manager. Um, innovative structures, we have uh, protected cell companies, uh, which you do see used as uh, fund vehicles. They're also often used as um, co-investment vehicles as well, that invest alongside the, the main funds. Uh, and that's actually quite useful because you can stream individual investments uh, and or investors' uh, portfolios without them commingling and therefore without separate regulation, albeit our, um, our regulatory uh, system actually allows you to put uh, structures that are associated with 
the main fund into a basket registration in most cases, certainly for closed-ended funds. And that allows the entire structure to be um, seen as one unit, one fund unit. In terms of um, the uh, innovative structures, that is one of them. It's quite useful and, and not necessarily available in all jurisdictions, although in most, um, most uh, international finance centres. But we're also seeing quite a few um, structures that are fund of one, i.e. single investor, almost managed account, but slightly more sophisticated than that, potentially, uh, style investments uh, and or uh, using PCC structures again for making um, specific investments rather along the lines of an investment club. Again, that, that doesn't necessarily mean it falls into the definition of collective investment scheme. Uh, and so there's, there's quite a lot of structuring in Guernsey that um, looks and, and feels a little bit like a fund, but actually doesn't qualify as such. Uh, and it, it's actually an incredibly flexible uh, jurisdiction for that. And what are some of the key regulatory structuring considerations? Uh, well, the the um, without going into too much detail, um, basically, uh, when you look at um, a GPLP structure, uh, the fund itself would be the limited partnership, and that would be a, a registered. Or, or authorized fund, and I'll go into the, what that means shortly. But the general partner would generally be regarded also as a licensable um, entity if it is in Guernsey, uh, and they often are um, licensed under our protection investors law as a manager. Uh, there are some exceptions uh, and exemptions around that, but that would be the, the standard uh, consideration. With a company, of course, you can have um, self-managed funds, which works quite well with the AIFND regime sometimes, and uh, also just generally it depends where the, the risk and uh, discretionary management is sitting. Um, but more commonly, you would have uh, a separate manager, whether onshore or in Guernsey for a, for a corporate that would be engaged by, by contract. Um, you also need to have uh, an administrator for a Guernsey fund in, in all cases, and that administrator needs to be a licensee in Guernsey. Uh, and we'll come on to them uh, a bit later, a bit more about their role. Um, and then if you're an open-ended fund, you would need a, uh, a custodian. Now, prim primarily or prima facie, it needs to be a custodian domiciled here and licensed here in Guernsey. But there are very common uh, derogations from that requirement for hedge funds uh, and if you can demonstrate that the there isn't an option here on the island to, to get an appropriate custodian. And in fact, that has been the case for um, the, uh, sorry, the, the digital asset funds that we have here, which generally have a custodian off-island. And what are the key requirements that apply to private funds? Private funds, well, when, when, it, when we talk about private funds, uh, we don't have a sort of a public fund versus private fund distinction. We have uh, two types of uh, regulated structure. So one is the authorized fund, which is a fully supervised fund. Um, we have various categories of those. Uh, that is one where the regulator, the Guernsey Financial Services Commission, 
uh, actually looks over the the uh, fitness and propriety of the promoter, manager, etc., all the parties involved, and the and the terms of the offer, and you have to comply with the appropriate rules. Uh, those, in a sense, are our public funds in that those are designed to sign, uh, to, to fit neatly into some, something like a USITS or similar style offering. Uh, we also have what are registered funds, uh, and these are, I suppose, in a sense, are our private funds, albeit registered funds can also be listed publicly on the markets, and many of, often are. Uh, and there are two principal types of those, the uh, registered collective investment scheme, uh, which are commonly known as RCIS, uh, and uh, the private investment funds, uh, of which there are three types. It's always very complicated on these. There are multiple flavors of different funds. So the registered investment, uh, collective investment schemes, the RCIS, uh, you have to comply with uh, prospectus rules, um, or if it's listed, then you would comply with the rules of the, the exchange. Uh, which would qualify it for that. Um, with the private investment funds, so the PIFs as, as they're known, they don't actually have to have uh, a prospectus or a fund document. Um, there are three different types of those. And I won't get into too much detail, but basically there's, there's a standard PIF which requires a manager in Guernsey, uh, and that is limited to 50 investors. Uh, and... Uh, Basically, the expectation is there's a close connection between the manager and the investors, such that, that the manager can say that the investors are able to bear the loss of their investment. Uh, there's a second type, which is uh, a, a qualifying investor fund, which is effectively professional, sophisticated investor type um, investors. And uh, that is also limited to 50 uh, investors. The manager on that one doesn't have to be in Guernsey. And then there's a family, uh, uh, basically a family office uh, structure as well, where all the investors are from the same family or are employed by that family. Uh, and again, they don't need a prospectus and it's limited to 50 investors. Uh, you mentioned administrators and custodians, Tim. Can you describe the ecosystem in Guernsey? Yeah, certainly. Um, lawyers aside, Joking, <laughs> the the, the uh, administrators uh, and uh, auditors, uh, uh, the um, uh, custodians, and also I think I ought to mention our uh, non-executive director pool are, are extremely. They're all extremely deep benches. Uh, there are multiple international um, administrators, in particular, who started off life here or have major presences here. I won't name and shame, but we have, uh, you know, there is a very, very strong uh, pool of, of resource here. And I think that's the case. And I'll shout out to Jersey as well uh, in Jersey. Uh, and I think that's something the Channel Islands is, is well known for, is the strength of their administration talent. Uh, custodians, we have uh, multiple um, banks, investment banks who have branches here. Uh, again, I won't name and shame, but there are, um, many of the, the, the names you'd expect uh, that, that are here are, uh, that are able to, to service open-ended uh, structures and close-ended for that matter, even though they're not required to do so, but they commonly do anyway. Um, and as I said, our, our NED pool is, our non-exec director pool is, is extremely strong. There are both ex-professionals who have 
retired here. A lot of people who have come out of the city and retired to Guernsey. And uh, those with banking, legal, accounting, uh, and administration experience that, that uh, provide, a, I think, a very strong bench uh, for, for, for any managers looking to, to set up a fund here. And what are some of the legal and regulatory uh, developments that you see coming on the horizon in, in Guernsey? Well, um, one thing we see um, is uh, there's obviously the the push towards um, various parts or aspects of ESG. Uh, so we we were Guernsey was the first to have uh, a badged uh, green fund, uh, and and the Guernsey Green Fund. In fact, I've got a call next week on on a new one for that. It's it's popular. It's not taken off quite, I think I have to admit, quite in the way that we'd hoped, but it is it is a very valid and a well-recognized brand, I think. Um, the reason it didn't take off quite as strongly was that uh, the uh, SFDR, uh, European uh, Directive, um, came in with with something similar um, shortly after we, uh, we, we, we launched our, our product. And I think, uh, you know, the, the the challenge is actually to to make sure that those two slot together uh, harmoniously, effectively, and I think they do. They do slot together, but it's a case of just explaining the the additional benefit of having a Guernsey Green Fund stamp. But um, on the uh, uh, there's also a natural capital fund coming uh, uh, very shortly, which is along the same lines. Which is effectively you have to show that your investments are within. Uh, appropriate categories uh, and pre-approved categories. It's it's verified monthly by the administrator, uh, and you're not enti- you're not allowed to invest in certain prohibited pools, which are seen as uh, contrary to the to the to the goals of natural capital and environmental sustainability. So that's something coming down the track, and we're quite excited about that. We've also got some uh, anti-greenwashing legislation uh, coming in as well. Obviously, that's a problem in that environmental uh, disclosure realm is that people, uh, it's difficult to define what is a valid disclosure, what is green, what isn't green. Uh, and there's, there's a real attempt to try and uh, codify that here in, in Guernsey going forward. Um, we've also got uh, some various additional pieces of uh, regulatory legislation that are currently being consulted on, um, mainly around um, making sure that appropriate um, anti-money laundering controls and, and, and procedures are in place for um, not just regulated entities, but entities doing uh, sort of uh, commercial lending and things like that. But uh, uh, I mean, principally, we're, we're, we're not expecting a huge change, sea change in, in what we have, but largely uh, a few changes around the, the, the edges just to really sharpen our, our, our product line uh, around the ESG uh, side of things. Well, Tim, thank you very much for uh, an insightful conversation. No problem. So we will continue discussing the legal and regulatory considerations for the Channel Islands in the next podcast, this time focusing on Jersey and featuring your colleague, uh, Sophia Regengo. So thank you to all our listeners for tuning in and have a good day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.